every so often throughout the course of history, patriots rise up at a time of need for truth and freedom. These people are called disciples of liberty for their undying love of freedom. The call has been sounded. Will you answer that call or sit back and let freedom die away? Unifying patriots everywhere against the evil trying to destroy America's freedom. You're listening to the Disciples of Liberty radio show on the America Out Loud Network. Now here's your host, Tim Alders. Hey, welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in once again for Tim Alders. I have to say, his theme music is the kind of song I actually want stuck in my head. I need to remind myself as I go throughout the day, yes, I was born free. I intend to stay free. And I assume that's probably why you are a part of this audience here on the America Out Loud Network. Well, let's dive right in, shall we? I've been thinking today about uh, enemy-driven thinking. And the first thing I have to do is I have to give a mea culpa because there was a time in my career where I was a very enemy-driven commentator. Now, let me explain what that means. It probably sounds more sinister than it actually is, but I'm glad that it's a part of my life that hopefully is behind me. I first became aware of the the concept of being enemy-driven in my thinking years ago when I read an essay by a blogger who goes by the name of the Z-Man, I believe he blogs out of Boston, Massachusetts, and he was describing the different tiers of talk radio, right-wing media, basically conservative media. And I have to admit, I was actually a little bit offended the very first time I saw this because I felt like, hey, (laughs) hey, man, he's pointing a finger at me. But, you know, that's one of those tests of personal integrity. If the shoe fits, do you say, okay. That, uh, that actually fits, and I probably should do something about it. Now, he was explaining the, the different approach that different tiers of information sources, different platforms use to appeal to their audiences. And, and they, they go basically by the sophistication of their audience. So at the very bottom of the rung, and I'm probably going to offend some people when I say this. I, I don't mean to, but I'm just going to use some examples here. You're going to find the lowest tier of thinking in the, the commentariat is enemy-driven. And it's, it's people who are, in, they wake up every day and they are looking for a, a target on which they can focus their frustration, focus their anger. Most ideologues, meaning people who tend to define the world in terms of a single idea, And we've all met people who are like this, right? I mean, it could be something fairly innocuous, like, you know, this person is an herbalist. Everything they see is in the prism of, well, how can I use herbs to get this outcome? Or how can I have better health through herbs? Some people, tax protesters. I think of Erwin Schiff. That guy was a diehard freedom fighter. Unfortunately, he died in prison because of the tax system that he was protesting. But that was, you know, the single idea that uh, really defined what he was about. So when it comes to information sources, particularly where, where you get commentary and where you get information, 
beware anytime you find yourself dealing with sources that primarily promote anger or fear. And I don't want to name too many names because I'm positive. I'll land on one of your favorites. Alex Jones, when he was deplatformed, I know that uh, he was kind of held up as well. You know, he's this firebrand. He's crazy, spittle flinging, whatnot. You know, you look at what the guy said. And a lot of what he said actually turns out to have been based in truth. Uh-oh. So you can definitely learn something from these folks, but but that's that's the lowest tier of sophistication in terms of the audience that they're trying to reach. Basically, they're trying to reach people at a more base, visceral level and, and get them to respond to the message. Too many illegals are coming here and taking our jobs. Too many Muslims are attacking us around the world, you know, and... There, again, there's probably a degree of truth, but it's that pursuit of that single ideology that, that makes it more enemy driven. So if you know someone, and by the way, this is very prevalent on the left as well. I've mentioned, you know, I, I have a really dear friend who I, I swear every day that Trump was president, she still wakes up, even though he's not president. She wakes up and just thinks about what a bad person Trump is, how much I hate Trump. Oh, how bad. And every media source she accesses reinforces that same thing. That's the lowest tier of sophistication. Now, to get to the middle tier, that's actually where a lot of us probably get a good amount of our information. At the time that the article was written, I believe, you know, Rush Limbaugh was still the king of talk radio and was held up as an example of he has, you know, a certain degree of uh, sophistication to his message. But for the most part, he's entertaining Um, Hannity would fall into this category. Probably most middle-of-the-road commentators are going to be somewhere in there. not saying they're all cut from the same cloth, but they're they're reaching people who want to think about issues but don't want to think too hard about the issues. I hope that makes sense. The next level up is is a much more nuanced level. This is where you're going to get into uh, uh, publications like uh, Foreign Affairs. Right. This is a publication of the Council on Foreign Relations. And, you know, they write some very insightful articles. They tell you straight up, this is what the people who are in leadership positions and people who hold the reins of power all around the world, this is what they're thinking. The direction that they're being urged to go. But you don't hear a lot of that enemy-driven kind of mentality. It's, it's kind of erudite, but it's, it's not, you know, it's not spoken in postgraduate language that, you know, has <laughs> master's degrees students scratching their heads going, what, what is this word salad trying to say? So hopefully this makes sense from the standpoint of the different sources you access. There's nothing wrong with being passionate. There's nothing wrong with, with having fire in your belly. But when you find sources that appeal to the idea that, to, hey, that's your enemy. Let's focus on them and let's talk about all the reasons why they're wrong. And basically that becomes a stepping stone to building yourself up. Yeah, there's something pretty unhealthy about that. Now, what got me thinking about this today was an essay from Joaquin Book. This was published on the American Institute for Economic Research. And he poses the question, can enemies be our friends? Now, this has a lot less to do with, hey, here's how to win over those enemies and turn them into the kind of people that you can respect and more to do with being the kind of person who can have a positive influence and a positive impact on anybody, anytime, anywhere, simply because you are actually doing the hard work of being a good person, instead of just signaling your virtue by showing, I'm against that, I'm against them. 
Understand? Here's how he describes it. He says, when I came of age as a blatantly ideological environmentalist, gender activist, teetotaler, and quasi-socialist, these many different values were fairly detached. He says, uh, the issues that engaged me in my late teens and early 20s didn't neatly fit together into a political party or cross-sectional movement unified by a common core belief, but I still cherished them and thought of them as different ways to do good, to be the change you wish to see in the world. Joaquin Book says I was interested in what was right, fair, and useful, as is often the case for youngsters starting out. Ideologically and personally, it wasn't always clear what any of those things meant or how one's actions brought those goals into being. He says, often it took the shape of feeling good rather than doing good. A gut feeling of what was the right thing to do, frequently overruled or amplified by reason or some out-of-context study that I'd read. For instance, he says, I convinced myself that eating meat was unnecessary, unhealthy, and superfluous, and most, in, most certainly inconsistent with my green ideals. I saw no benefits to alcohol, and some of its appalling sides had me refusing to drink anything at all until just a few years ago. He says, it seemed fake to me to only be able to shift your mood or align actions with beliefs under the influence, and cowardice not to own up to your actions afterwards. He says, I didn't like what at the time seemed like arbitrary decisions on how men and women ought to behave, dress, what they should like, or to whom they should be attracted. So he says, I did everything in my power to upend those performed behaviors to critically question oppressive structures, as the jargon now goes. Needless to say, he says, I don't think I was easy to be around. <laughs> that's, that's a painful admission, but I have to give him props for saying so. Now, he says, if you were willing to overlook those talking points for a minute and hang out, we could still be great friends. In fact, strangely enough, I surrounded myself with the oddest group of people whose company I much enjoyed, macho and foul-mouthed soccer players who were constantly trying to get laid, nerdy people who were very mature and relationship-minded already at 17, gorgeous feminists who refused to shave their armpits, Nietzsche-reading contrarians who regularly ditched class and smoked anything that could be smoked, legal or not, a few early girlfriends who were either completely uninterested in political topics, but into nature and forests and tea, about a decade before I was, or so obsessed with the good fight that most of our relationship consisted of arguing. Now, he says some pretty normal people, too, who didn't care much for the topics that obsessed me, and therefore they never came up in our grand non-political friendships. Joaquin Book says in each of these people's companies, I found value and friendship and bliss. My Nietzsche-reading friend had a precocious fascination for philosophy and a genuine desire for finding truth no matter the superficial arguments he had to wade through to get there or the conventional wisdom he had to upend. The soccer player always made me laugh and was one of the kindest, most considerate people I ever knew, his sexist language and masculine posturing aside. The not-armpit-shaving feminist was ridiculously well-read in European literature and remarkably tolerant and blasé about what should and shouldn't be, what the kids today would call chill. And he says, some of my feminist friends drank boatloads of alcohol. Many of my teetotaling friends could be remarkably masculine or gender stereotypic. Most of my LGBT crowd loved the booze. And only my Green Party friends were as hyper-focused on climate impact and minimizing footprint as I was. He says, one of the first really important things I ever wrote was a melancholic essay 
on what it felt like being caught in the middle, not belonging anywhere, not being understood or fully accepted by any of the ideological groups I was attached to. Terribly cliché for a teenager not to belong, perhaps, but enough so for a writing contest to award me the lordly sum of $600. Although occasionally painful and often quite profound, many of the experiences that I condensed into that essay taught me something that I think most people used to know and instinctively understand, but many of us have now forgotten. That someone can be a good person even if they make choices different from yours. That close friends are dear to you because of what you've gone through together, what you share, how they make you feel, not because of how they vote, which ideological persuasions drive them, and what positions they've taken on this or that topic. He says, I reminisce on these long-lost years as we seem to have lost something, that something that I naturally possessed back then, or painfully acquired. And he's talking about the ability to separate values, ideas, or political statements from what it takes to be a good person. In our woke times, a disagreement over unsettled issues might be the end of your career. Even if you spoke wrong speak 20 years ago, when that was allowable opinion. Lots of staff at Penguin, one of the big five publishers, felt threatened and uncomfortable with Jordan Peterson merely publishing his latest book there. The New York Times, the pinnacle of the fourth estate in the West, ousted Barry Weiss for publishing broad-tent conservative views. Your party affiliation not to mention your fluency in the new speak of intersectional power analysis, is increasingly becoming a hygiene factor for engaging with anyone, let alone getting a job in many industries. Try academia without it. In fact, he points out he recently had the misfortune to be on a date with someone who quickly made sure that I knew that human rights were non-negotiable. What does that even mean? And that prime among those human rights were trans rights. Uh-huh, I thought and wondered what that arcane and peripheral topic had to do with our potential relationship. But he says it turned out I was merely behind the curve. Wendy Wang's research shows that cross-party affiliations in marriage are becoming increasingly rare. YouGov reported a survey last year where somewhere around 40% of both Republicans and Democrats would be upset if their child married someone from the other party. Even larger-sized studies than that, like Match.com's Singles in America report, show that the proportion of people who think it impossible for them to date across party lines is increasing fast, from around one-third in 2012 to over half in 2020. Around 70% of Democrats and some 50% of Republicans would consider a ballot for the wrong candidate in 2016 a deal-breaker for their future relationship. Now, the share of survey respondents who say that it's important for their partners to share their political beliefs has skyrocketed in the last few years after having held steady since records began. A few years ago, for instance, Leavers versus Remainers tore a deep divide through British society and family, friends, and relationships happened to find themselves on either side of that unbridgeable gap. Of course, the Trump and anti-Trumpers have played a similar role in America the last 18 months or so of these considerations have given way for an even more pernicious and deep-rooted divide, and that, of course, is the COVID stance. In all aspects of life, people whose expertise doesn't warrant them to have an opinion one way or another, and people whose interest in political, economical, or epidemiological topics are non-existent, are forced to take an active stance on all manner of everyday things. Whether and when to wear a mask 
whether or not to cancel visits from others, whether or not to travel or meet strangers and how, whether or not to inject themselves with substances which some tell them are dangerous and others say are crucial and life-saving. If you make the wrong choice, much hate is now coming your way. Polarization and balkanization are words that get thrown around in political discourse and media outlets and information acquisition. But the more damaging consequences happen when we integrate those tribalist political divides into our regular lives. When we banish the unvaxxed from our, from our weddings or cancel family gatherings because of concerns that one set of invitees are offended at personal choices made by another set of invitees. He says over half of Republicans have progressive friends, but less than one third of Democrats count a Republican among their friend group. And it's increasingly clear that we don't understand where the other is coming from, ideologically and morally speaking. So Joaquin Book asks the question, can people no longer be wrong on scientific questions and still be good human beings? Can people no longer hold different values than you and still be reasonable, upstanding, respectable individuals? He says, I'm sure that people of all ages and times have failed in separating political arguments and values from the person behind the opinion. But like all people with a present bias prone to romanticizing the past, he says, I think it looks worse now. Perhaps this inability of ours to separate personality from opinion has moved into social, professional, and emotional fields it didn't do before. Maybe highly centralized structures have pushed too many one-size-fits-all approaches that make conflicts inevitable. Submission or defiance become the only two options when we're forced to make an irrelevant choice. That's really well put, by the way, and I'm definitely feeling backed into that corner. Joaquin Book finishes by saying, look, even if they have external effects, many or even most of the things that divide us are none of anyone else's damned business. What we eat, what we drive, what we wear, what medical procedures we have, what we drink or whom we love. And he asks, when did we forget that? I don't know about you. Sometimes it's, you know... Sometimes I think we train ourselves to, you know, think, how would I counter this? What you're, We're arguing in our heads, even just considering it. But from what I gather from what he's saying here, the bigger picture, the bigger message is, are you looking for reasons to, to look at other people as the other? Because that seems like a pretty dangerous way to, to see the world. I'm not talking about, you know, you, you no longer discern between people who are engaged in harmful behaviors or harmful ideas versus those that are simply expressing a viewpoint that doesn't line up with yours. See, the test here isn't so much how can we persuade everybody over to our side, although I'll admit, I think that's a valid, I think it's a valid activity to engage in, but it has to take place from the standpoint of you plant seeds, you speak the truth, if they don't want to hear about it, that's okay. You're okay with it. They don't have to agree with you, and you can still be friends. As opposed to, look, you've got to agree with me or we've got a problem. Come on, we've all known friendships or relationships that are like that, or people that are like that. And, and at the, the worst extreme, some individuals get like that where they're, they're a very rational, good, decent person in almost every aspect, but then you bring up politics and they transform into this monstrous caricature of themselves. 
And that's not flattering. It's not a good way to be because it's based on just the idea of they're puffing up like a gorilla. You know, I'm going to dominate you. Pretty hard to have any kind of a productive friendship or any kind of a productive discussion when a person is intent on, I must crush you. I have to bend you to my will. You have to admit that I'm right. It's hard to lose the need to win. And I say that as someone who um, early on, particularly in my talk radio career, um, I was very good at throwing red meat. I could see that it had the effect of creating a large, powerful, um, loyal audience who came back every day to see what new demon I was going to give them to wrestle with. And I'm not bragging when I say this. They loved me for it. But eventually I came to a, an understanding that, okay, I'm pretty good at getting people riled up, but is that enough? Is that is that accomplishing anything other than raising somebody's blood pressure here and there? And for me, the answer was, I've got to do better. Now, ironically, um, by not playing to those who are a little more fear-driven or enemy-driven, I've seen my uh, audience, potential and real, shrink. And yet I'm not terribly concerned about that. And here's why. Those emotions are superficial at best. That's why they're so easily accessed. I mean, to get somebody angry, I mean, look, if you, want, if you, if you seriously, if, you, if you're the kind of person who likes to get people angry, all you have to do is go out there and get in traffic and just be inconsiderate. Trust me, you'll get it. <laughs> you will get anger, maybe more than you wanted. If you're just out there, you know, starting conversations so you can pick an argument with somebody, that's, that's another good way to get more anger than you possibly bargained for. I got a teenage son who uh, is, he's a sharp kid. Sometimes he likes to argue. And, and if you've ever been in the position of where you know just enough about a subject to, to argue, but also just enough to paint yourself into a corner from which there is no easy way out, okay, I've seen that happen too. And about a year ago, we were walking around in downtown Salt Lake City. It was, it was uh, one of the early uh, protesting the lockdowns, you know, let's reopen the businesses, let's stop, you know, this heavy-handed approach. Well, my boys and I went to attend one of those events. And there was a lot of people. There was hundreds of people running around. And there was a guy walking around. I can't remember if he was carrying a Trump flag or just had a Trump hat on. It was an older gentleman, probably in his 70s. And uh, I watched my son walk up and say something to him like, you know, Trump isn't going to solve all of our problems. And the old guy, you know, engaged him in conversation. And my other son who was with me looked at me like, uh-oh. Look what, look what he's doing. And I kind of stepped back into the crowd. I know this, this sounds like a really bad thing, but this, this was some tough love. I stepped back into the crowd, and I could see my son looking around like, come on, Dad, support me on this. Nope. He stuck his neck out, and I let him, uh, I let him strike up a conversation, which quickly turned into an argument with the guy. And, uh, well, to put it long story short, my son got put in his place. Gently, but he was firmly put in his place. And maybe I'm a bad dad for letting that happen, but the idea is you don't need to start an argument with people to have a conversation. Frankly, it would have been more productive to tell the guy, I like your flag or I like your hat and go from there. But to just go up and tell him, hey, what you're representing ain't going to happen. Yeah, they're going to be defensive. And I, I, I hope it was a good lesson. 
I'm, I haven't written any books on parenting, so, you know, <laughs> if, if it was a bad idea, maybe it was a bad idea. But it was also a great object lesson in the sense that starting arguments is a very poor way to affect any kind of meaningful change. So here's the, here's the bottom line. You have more influence than you think. I know, we're modest. I like to hide behind that false modesty too. Oh, I'm just one person. How can I possibly do something? But you have people in your life. And you will encounter people in your life who, for whatever reason, are there in that moment where your influence could be something that impacts them. Why not make it a good impact? Don't be looking for enemies. Look for the common ground. Look for a chance to be the best human being you can be. Let your example speak louder than your words can speak. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders. This is Disciples of Liberty on the America Out Loud Network. Get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. And we are back. This is the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. If I could ask a small favor, please pay close attention to the sponsors of this and the other programs on this network. If you're in a position to do business with them, to purchase their product or their service, do so. 
And if you aren't, maybe you know someone who is. Maybe refer them, point them in the right direction, or consider dropping a note to them and just let them know their advertising message reached your ears because they were advertising here. I take it as a great personal favor, and I'll thank you in advance. Man, it's it's tough to get good information these days with all the fact checkers out there and all the, the people protecting us, shielding us from unapproved sources of information. And maybe this is the contrarian in me, but I have come to a point where I am quickly reaching the, the point where if, if someone is being censored or if there is if there is some kind of official pushback and hey, YouTube has removed this video, they yanked it as quick as they could, Instagram pulled it down. You know, Twitter is closing accounts because of it. I become very interested in what that person has to say. And that's not a guarantee that I'm going to listen to and lap up every word they say because, you know, because they are, you know, angering the right people, apparently. But if it's so important that I can't even be allowed to consider it, well, I'm going to have to see if I can make that determination for myself. And there's, an, there's a, a video that has been going around. Maybe you have seen this. It is a, a Dr. Dan Stock speaking to the school board in Mount Vernon, Indianapolis. I'm sorry, Indiana. My bad. And it's as a family physician, he is talking about some, some different aspects of vaccinations, face masks, etc., and I don't, I, I can't tell you, you know, I'm not an expert on these things. I can't tell you, yes, this guy is absolutely right. I will say he appears to make sense, but more than anything, I just want the chance to consider what he has to say without some censor pulling it out from under me and telling me, you, you can't do that. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. That kind of stuff will warp your mind. It feels patronizing and it also feels very controlling and the ferocity with which his comments are being banished from most social media platforms actually sparked my curiosity about what this guy had to say so i'm going to play the audio of his comments it's pretty short it's a little over six minutes but i want you to hear it for yourself and then just consider if there's if there's worthy if if, it's, if his words are worth considering or worth adopting or embracing as truth but unlike the media censors, I'm going to trust you to make that decision That decision yourself. Here's Dr. Dan Stock lighting it up in Mount Vernon. <coughs> Dr. Dan Stock, uh, 5777 West 700 North, McCordsville, Indiana. Um, to, to address your comment, gee, it's hard to believe we're 18 months into this and still having a problem. And I would suggest the reason we still have a problem is because we're doing things that are not useful. And we're getting our sources of information from the Indiana State Board of Health and the CDC, who actually don't bother to read science before they do this. Um, I'm actually a functional family medicine physician. That means I am specially trained in immunology and inflammation regulation. And everything being recommended by the CDC and the State Board of Health is actually contrary to all the rules of science. So things you should know about coronavirus and all other respiratory viruses, they are spread by aerosol particles, which are small enough to go through every mask. By the way, the literature that supports all of that is in a flash drive that we presented to you. It's been given to the secretary. As a matter of fact, it quotes at least three studies sponsored by the NIH to that exact fact, even though the CDC and the NIH have chosen to, avoid, to ignore the very science that they paid to have done. Um, that is why you keep struggling with this, is because you cannot make these viruses go away. The natural history of all respiratory viruses 
is that they circulate all year long, waiting for the immune system to get sick through the winter or become deranged, as has happened recently with these vaccines, and then they cause symptomatic disease. Because they cannot be filtered out and they have animal reservoirs, and this is a very important point, no one can make this virus go away. The CDC has managed to convince everybody that we can handle this like we did smallpox, where we could make a virus go away. Smallpox had no animal reservoirs. The only thing it learned to infect was humans. That's why we were able to make that virus go away. That will not happen with this any more than it will with influenza, the common cold, respiratory syncytial virus, adenoviral respiratory syndromes, or anything else that has animal reservoirs. So the reason you can't do this is because you're trying to do something which has already been tried and can't be done. Equally important is that vaccination changes none of this, especially with this vaccine. And I would hope this board would start asking itself, before it considers taking the advice of the CDC, the NIH, and the State Board of Health, why we are doing things about this that we didn't do for the common cold, influenza, or respiratory syncytial virus. And then ask yourself, why is a vaccine that is supposedly so effective having a breakout in the middle of the summer when respiratory viral syndromes don't do that? And to help you understand that, you need to know the condition that is called antibody-mediated viral enhancement. That is a condition done when vaccines work wrong, as they did in every coronavirus study done in animals, on coronaviruses after the SARS uh, outbreak, and done in respiratory syncytial virus, where a vaccine used in a vulnerable individual done the wrong way, which why it cannot be done right for a respiratory virus which has a very low pathogenicity rate, causes the immune system to actually fight the virus wrong and let the virus become worse than it would with native infection. And that is why you are seeing an outbreak right now. In fact, in that flash drive you're going to have coming to you and in the emails with six extra will be a study showing that 75% of people who had COVID-19 positive symptom cases in Barnstable, Massachusetts outbreak were fully vaccinated. Therefore, there is no reason for treating any person vaccinated any differently than any person unvaccinated. You should also know that no vaccine, even the ones I support and would give to myself and my children, ever stops infection. In 2014, there was outbreak of mumps in the National Hockey League. The only people who came down the symptoms were the people who were unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status. Boy, that sounds like a great argument for vaccines. But a question that you should ask yourself knowing that half of the people who came down with symptomatic disease had no contact with an unvaccinated or unknown vaccine status individual, where did they get the disease? And the answer was from the vaccinated individuals. No vaccine prevents you from getting infection. You get infected, you shed pathogen. This is especially true of viral respiratory pathogens. You just don't get symptomatic from it. So you cannot stop spread. You cannot make these numbers that you've planned on get better by doing any of the things you're doing because that is the nature of viral respiratory pathogens. And you can't prevent it with a vaccine because they don't do the very thing you're wanting them to do. And you will be chasing this the remainder of your life until you recognize that the Center for Disease Control and the Indiana State Board of Health are giving you very bad scientific guidance. And instead, read the articles that are going to come on the email and are on this flash drive and listen to the people in this audience here tonight who actually have recognized the advice they are getting from the CDC and the NIH is counterfactual. And that's why you're still fighting this with this vaccine that supposedly was going to make all of this go away, but has suddenly managed to make an outbreak of COVID-19 develop in the middle of the summer when vitamin D levels are at their highest. By the way, the other thing that would be necessary any vaccine restriction to be considered is if there were no other treatment available. And I can tell you, having treated over 15 COVID-19 patients, that between active loading with vitamin D, ivermectin, and zinc, that there is not a single person who has come anywhere near the hospital 
And we already have studies that show that if you achieve a 25-hydroxy vitamin D level greater than 55, your risk of COVID-19 death will drop down to one quarter of the population average for the United States. And there are active treatment trials included on that flash drive that show the same is true. So if you were going to discriminate based upon vaccine, you should also discriminate based upon 25-hydroxyvitamin D level, zinc taste test response, and probably previous infections, since there are also studies on that flash drive that show that people who have recovered from COVID-19 infection actually get no benefit from vaccination at all, no reduction in symptoms, no reduction in hospitalization, and suffer two to four times the rate of side effects if they are subsequently vaccinated. Therefore, the policies that you are basing on are totally counterfactual. I don't blame this board for that because I know you aren't scientists and you've thought it was reasonable to listen to the CDC, NIH, and the Indiana State Board of Health. But I would encourage that instead you listen to the people out here in this audience and read what's on that data drive. And if anybody here in this board has any questions about anything on that, I will happily come back and sit with you individually if you would like to explain the science behind this. And if you're worried about being sued by somebody because you don't follow the guidance of the CDC and the NIH, I will tell you have a free pro bono expert testimony at your disposal. I will testify in defense of this board, turning down all these recommendations for free at any time in any court. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Now, again, I'm not suggesting just because I played this and you heard it on the Disciples of Liberty show, therefore you are bound to agree with it. You're not. But some of that information, have you heard anything like this from other sources? I'm I'm not somebody who's qualified to tell you that is absolutely on target or it isn't, but it's the kind of stuff that makes me want to ask questions. Okay, why can't we why can't we pose those kind of questions to these government health experts and and uh, the the medical experts who are telling us, "Oh no, no. Everybody's got to have the vaccine even if we have to make it mandatory. Everybody's got to mask up again even though, you know, it appears that masks really don't slow down the spread of the virus." I think uh, the best exa- the best evidence that I have seen of that has come from the incredible spike in cases that came in places that locked it down hard, that mandated and enforced masks hard, and the highest spike in uh, those cases of people getting, uh, you know, getting COVID or being diagnosed with COVID came after the mask mandates were implemented. Now, this isn't an immediate uh, proof here that, well, therefore, everything that anybody in government says is wrong. It's just something that, that illustrates viruses will do what they will do. They will spread through a population until enough people have had the illness. And in this case, again, remember, we're talking about a virus that 99.7% of the people who catch it will survive. It's going to have adverse reactions for some and sometimes long-lasting consequences for some. Some people will die of it, but 99.7 live after being infected with it. Kind of odd, don't you think, that we're not even allowed to consider some of these other things? And, you know, I I know there are conspiracies that uh, some of them may be true. Some of them, I don't know. My biggest complaint, or at least my biggest beef with, with the whole covid stance today is that these measures need to be voluntary and the beauty of this is you have places you can turn to like sweden for example which chose not to go the route of mandates not to go the route of lockdowns 
You know, and if the logic follows, well, then they should have had a, they should have been a hotbed of COVID activity. More people should have died there. I think uh, the estimate last year was that if Sweden doesn't lock it down and mandate masks and social distancing and close everything down, they're going to be looking at 96,000 deaths by June. Do you know how many people actually died by June of last year? It was 4,000. I don't know why. There, there is such a slavish devotion to, but we've got to do what the Dr. Fauci's of this world are telling us, or we've got to do what this bureaucrat in this health department, in this city, or in this county, or this state is telling us. It just doesn't follow. And, of course, politicians have been all over it, and this, this has been true even of a lot of uh, you know, so-called uh, freedom-minded politicians governors and mayors and so forth that would normally line up on the conservative side of the spectrum. They've been pretty quick to go along with it. Though I think we would have to give a nod to the Gavin Newsoms of the world, the Bill de Blasios and others. Yeah, they've they've taken it to extremes. These are decisions that you have to make for yourself. And they're not getting easier. Of course, I don't need to tell you that, right? If you've ever been one of those people who has, has decided, you know what? I'm not going to put on a mask. I'm not going to mask up to go shop for groceries. They can't make me do it. You're free to do so. And I know a lot of people who've done it. I've done it myself. But there's a price to pay. Sometimes it's dirty looks. Sometimes it's muttered, you know, sayings behind, where's your mask, you idiot? You're making people sick, you know. And sometimes it's outright confrontation. There's a great link on Lou Rockwell uh, on the blog today about an Israeli woman who apparently, uh, she apparently showed up at a supermarket. She was the only person unmasked in the entire store. And it was such a big deal that the police were called out. And she defied the maskers. This individual writing, this is for antiempire.com, says, Today, August 11th, 2021, I went to the gym this morning. I live in Israel. I do not have a green pass. Technically, I'm not allowed into the gym. As I walk there, I'm thinking, what do I do if police prevent me from going? Do I go in anyway or back out or jump the fence and work out? Well, it turned out not to be an issue. Nobody was at the front desk, so I just walked in, did my workout, and left. I walk home, and when I turn the corner to my street, I'm reading the Tower of Basil, so I'm not looking up. I hear what my wife scream my name, and immediately my blood pressure shoots up. She's unloading groceries with my two oldest daughters, 11 and 9. So apparently, he says, as I was working out at the gym, my wife was having a workout of the mind and soul at the supermarket. Rafi, they called the police on me, he's told. What? Is everything okay? Does this have a happy ending? Immediately, I want to know, is this a good or a bad story? I've been constantly on edge for about 18 months now. I'm in no condition to handle any sort of suspense at all. Everything's fine, says my wife. I breathe a sigh of relief. So what happened? A bit of background. He says, my wife and I made a pact a while back. We would not put on masks anymore for any reason. Not to keep a job, not to placate the police, nothing. The last time I put one on was for an interview to get a weapons license three months ago, and I had to annul vows for that. Why are we so adamant? Because he says it is time to set an example, and so we are. Neither I nor my wife have ever gotten a ticket for not wearing a mask. I've been threatened, even booked and detained by police, but never ticketed. So she begins the story. She's heading into the grocery store with our two oldest daughters. The guard stops her at the entrance and tells her, you can't come in without a mask. 
She says, yes, she can, and that she does not have to wear a mask. She simply walks past the guard. The guard follows her inside and continues to harass her. She discontinues shopping with an asinine back and forth about what the law is. Show me your exemption, says the guard. I don't have to show you anything, she insists, and keeps shopping. Now, he says, my daughters are witnessing all of this, also unmasked. As this is going on, the manager of the store comes out and takes my wife's side, which was nice. If she says she doesn't have to wear a mask, then she doesn't have to wear a mask. Enough already. So the guard slinks off. Meanwhile, random masked grocery shoppers continue to harass my wife in front of my kids. She ignores them all and keeps shopping. Then she gets to the self-checkout counter and starts scanning her stuff. She swipes her credit card and the machine says, there's a problem, what a coincidence, and to call a clerk to help. A clerk comes and she says, sorry, this checkout isn't working. You'll have to start over and the police are coming. You'll have to put on a mask. No, I don't, says my wife. Then the intercom on the store starts blaring. The police are on their way. Everyone must make sure their mask covers both nose and mouth. Now he says, my wife just stands there with my daughters. She can't leave because payment hasn't gone through. She suspects someone shut down the machine to pin her there as the police were coming. Plus, he says, my oldest just happened to have a bee sting on her foot from the day before that was swelling up again and needed to be iced. But my wife did not want to use that excuse to leave because it would look cowardly. It is time to stand up. So she just stood there calmly, unmasked. Police arrive outside the supermarket, taking pictures. They do not come in. Still waiting, she's the only person unmasked in the entire store. The checkout machine comes back to life. A new screen pops up on for a manager to swipe a card again. My wife calls the manager over. She swipes the card. The machine now says to swipe the credit card again. She does. Receipt comes out this time. Finished. She's now walking out of the store. My oldest's foot is in a lot of pain. She gets past the guard again, and she simply walks past three policemen standing there. As she's pass, as she passes them, the guard says, That's her! That's her! To the cops. But my wife just keeps walking to the car, two daughters in tow. They help her load the car, and she drives off home. So that's it. That's the whole story. This is all one big bluff. Our enemies are empty shells. Evil is emptiness. Show no fear, he says. Stare the bastards down. Keep your calm. They're nothing. He says, I would bet nobody in my entire city has the sheer courage of my wife. I am blessed with the most amazing woman in the world. Now, I'm not saying that you have to do likewise or, you know, you ain't nothing. But I do think that we're in a time where, you know, we do need to do more than just simply keep our heads down and our eyes on the floor and, you know, try hard not to be noticed. I'm a big believer in the power of breaking the illusion of consensus. And that's the plain and simple. That's the reason why people get so bent out of shape. When they see someone unmasked, when they see someone who refuses to, you know, to toe the line, it's not because you're out there spreading germs and killing grandma like, you know, they would claim. It's simply because you're showing that a person doesn't have to do this if they really don't want to. So don't underestimate the power in being willing to be that uh, odd duck. However, you probably should be warned that uh, it's it hurts.
Okay, it's never pleasant to be the object of the crowd's scorn. If people are surrounding you and confronting you, and maybe you've seen some of the viral videos that have come around about, uh, you know, people being the the mask Nazis and and enforcing this in various stores, it can get ugly. I think about uh, there. Were, I used to live in Southern Utah, and uh, one of my favorite places to shop was the Smiths store down there. That was that was a grocery chain. I loved the people there. I knew the employees at that store, and and they knew me. They would say hi to me. They recognized me when I would come in there, and I was really sad to see one of the viral videos of you know store employees confronting somebody. Um, a guy showed up at the store wearing a mask, but it was a Lone Ranger type mask. And I have to applaud him. I thought I thought not only did he have a great way of saying, look, technically your sign on the front of your store says masks required. I'm wearing a mask. Leave me alone. But I mean, employees were literally thrown. I will take you out and kick your A. Right? I mean, it was like, what possesses people to act like this? Now, I feel like in light of what I was talking about in the first segment about not being enemy driven, I probably should emphasize I don't share this with you to make you angry. Or to get your you know, desire to fight up. But more to point out that we are up against, we're up against a pretty severe psychosis that has taken hold of a good portion of society. And the sad thing is, if you are against these mandates, you are very much in the minority. And you're going to be made to feel that way. The question I have for you, and for myself, because I'm still trying to learn the answer to this too, Can I still be a good person? Can I still be a rational voice of reason, even when others around me are acting like a bunch of primates, you know, asserting dominance? You know, it's that's a tough call. I want to share with you a commentary here from Daisy Luther. She blogs as the organic prepper, and she had a piece published on Lou Rockwell earlier today titled Shocking and Dehumanizing Discrimination Against the Unvaccinated is about to make life very difficult. This is not to get you fearful, but it's to make you aware that, uh, you know, this is, this is a tough time. This is one of those times where you, if you are going to stand for, for liberty, you are probably going to pay a price for it. She says all over the world, the hot-button subject of the moment is the COVID vaccination. Many governments discuss making it mandatory, a terrifying concept for people who believe the vaccine is unsafe, but perhaps even more appalling are the shocking things people are saying about those who are unvaccinated. So her article isn't about whether the vaccine is safe or not. In fact, she's not urging anyone to get the vaccine, nor is she urging anyone to avoid it. She says, I believe my health decisions are my choice. Yours are your choice. That is the correct attitude, by the way. But she says, I hope that when you read these comments, whatever side of the debate you're on, you stop and think about your humanity. If this were done to any other group of people, it would be considered hate speech. Because the mainstream media and the narrative are tightly controlled right now. This isn't just thought of as acceptable, but actually as a signal of superior virtue. So they not only have permission, but they have the approval of their consciences. As I think H.L. Mencken, or maybe it was uh, G.K. Chesterton would have said. Daisy Luther says, we already talked about how people would be encouraged to get the vaccine. That's in quotation marks. Encouraged through a loss of liberty privileges. By now, those eager to get the vaccine have done so. 
and those with valid reasons like loss of income have also gotten the jab. Therefore, holdouts who remain adamant they won't get the vaccine are now being exposed to a whole new level of encouragement via extreme social pressure. A phenomenon called othering is used in both the violence dynamics world and in brainwashing. Othering is when a person determines that the other person or another person is unworthy, threatening, or all-around inadequate and hardly even the same species. Othering is a process whereby a group of people is made to seem fundamentally different, even to the point that making that group of making that group seem less than human. Now, this process can trigger instinctive emotional reactions towards members of that group. In many instances, othering has been used to degrade, isolate, and render possible a group's discrimination, abuse, or persecution. And this has happened many times in history. When human beings were used as slaves and property, when human beings were the subject of horrific experiments, when the media and people in power deliberately manipulated human beings to believe that other humans weren't like them, and therefore it was permissible to mistreat or abuse them. As the saying goes, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And Daisy Luther says, repeat it, they are. I think regardless of our stance, we can all agree that fervently wishing for bad things to happen to those who believe differently and dehumanizing them for their beliefs is pretty awful. And she gives a whole list of appalling suggestions that people have come out with for those who aren't vaccinated. In fact, uh, I'm going to play a little clip for you. This is about a one-minute clip from Don Lemon from CNN, who believes that unvaccinated should not be allowed to buy work or to buy food or to work. Does that mean he believes they should starve to death? Listen to how he puts it. Um, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people are not going to agree with this, but um, don't get the vaccine. You can't go to the supermarket. Don't have the vaccine. You don't show it. Can't go to the ball game. Don't have the vaccine. Can't go to work. You don't have the vaccine. Can't come here. No shirt, no shoes, no service. That's where I think we should be right now because we continue to waste our breath on people who are just not going to change their you know the circular logic they just keep going back and saying well it's my freedom it's whatever i'm free well your kid's not free to give other kids meningitis in schools you gotta take a vaccine to do that you gotta take vaccines to, in order to get to be employed so uh, what is the big deal and all these people are saying i don't want to put this stuff in my body they're out Drinking on the weekend and putting other substances in their bodies, that's way worse for them than a vaccine. So, come on. Let's be real. Yeah, look, okay. are- I'm going to stop it before Chris Cuomo <laughs> weighs in there. But if you had any doubt there, Don Lemon thinks people who are unvaccinated are idiots. In fact, here's a quote from him. How many people have to die? Lemon asked, saying, if behavior is idiotic and nonsensical, I think you need to tell people that their behavior is idiotic and nonsensical. Yeah, because that could be the only two possible reasons why someone might be hesitant to take the vaccine or to mask up. It could only be idiocy or the fact that their brains are full of nonsense. There couldn't be any legitimate reason. There couldn't be any other moral or even spiritual reason why a person wouldn't want to do that. And if you watch closely, you'll notice that it's becoming very popular to blame the unvaccinated for all future cases of COVID. This has happened from Fauci right on down to Alabama Governor Kay Ivey and others. How far should the blame go? Well, Daisy Luther explores that. She talks about people who want to impose financial penalties. 
They want to ruin the lives of the unvaccinated. This is a lawyer by the name of Pam Keith. Here's a good way to move people into getting vaccinated. Condition all federal benefits on proof of vaccination. That would include Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, military pensions, VA benefits, Fed subsidized housing, all of it. I bet that will move things along. What a nice lady, huh? So you understand the point here. Can you imagine walking around thinking these kind of things are justified, having that much hatred and disdain for those who don't share your opinion? I mean, I guess it translates into a sense of moral authority to tell people what they must do with their body. I would think any decent person would look at that and say, "Woo." Not for me. I don't have that kind of authority, and I should not be walking around pretending like I should have that kind of authority. So, in summary, this is not a call to rise up and, you know, tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye, you know, against those who are are adopting this heel-clicking attitude. It's just acknowledging the reality that uh, these are the times we're in. And the dehumanizing discrimination against the unvaccinated is intensifying. If you are someone who is going to stand for freedom, first of all, I applaud your courage, but I also have to acknowledge the reality. Our lives are about to get very difficult. So let's do everything we can not to make other people's lives more difficult. Harmless as doves, wise as serpents, I think the saying goes. Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I'm Brian Hyde, filling in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty show on the America Out Loud Network.